to ask you for anything I just came to talk with you Lord you've answered a million prayers or more that I forgot to thank you for just came to talk with you, Lord. Maybe tomorrow there'll be trouble and sorrow and a thousand teardrops may fall. face tomorrow's task there's no special favor to ask I just came to talk with you Lord how many times Lord have troubles brought me I just came to talk with you, Lord. I don't have a selfish motive in mind. I just want to thank you for all those other times. I just came to talk with you. Just come to talk to him. That's worship, folks. It is, truly. Hey, grab your hymn book before Pastor Josh comes to speak to us and turn to page 82. And Philip Brooks wrote this song, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, as Deb was singing there, the Holy Spirit uh, said, that's what, that's what Philip Brooks was doing. He was just talking to the Lord when this God began putting this song in his heart. Now, who's, who's Philip Brooks? Well... He preached Abraham Lincoln's funeral. I think he was instrumental in uh, the conversion of Lincoln. But anyway, 
through those days and of course the Civil War and all, he was uh, probably one of the most well-known pastors in the whole United States at that time. And uh, he was overwhelmed with all that had happened, greatly burdened, and he decided to take uh, a few months off or a year off. He was just burnt out. You ever been there? Just burnt out, burnt up, whatever. So he boarded ship and headed over to the Middle East, and uh, on Christmas Eve, he uh, rented him a horse. He's a big guy, I understand. It's well over six feet, probably 250, 300 pounds. Rented him a horse and took off in the night. And he was, he was actually encouraged by others. You shouldn't do that. You don't know this region. There's robbers out there. And he says, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. So he just rode off into the night, went up to Bethlehem sitting on the hillside and now you know here we are we're talking about in the 1800s late 1800s and he's sitting there and he said Lord I don't know what I don't know what I'm going to do I don't know what you're doing with me I'm just overwhelmed and the Holy Spirit started giving him these words that you're going to sing with me in a moment old little town of Bethlehem and it, it just, it flooded his soul. So he wrote them down. God ministered to him through them. He was thinking of how God's plan, as you can see, God's plan was coming about. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. About a year later, he'd been back here for a good year, back in the U.S., and he penned these words down, and we still sing them now. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Won't you stand with me if you would? And let's sing this together, will you? had gone through the terrible civil war, the war between the states, 600,000 soldier boys had died. You talk, about a, you talk about a Christmas where every home was sad and hurting and heartaches were there. But I like this in verse number four. Oh, holy child
Hallelujah. You can be seated. Oh, be born in us today. Oh, how true, how true a statement that is. Amen. Now we rejoice in that song because it ministers to us just like it did to Philip Brooks back in those days when he so desperately needed. And we need this, folks. We need church. That's why church is so very important. And uh, there's nothing can take the place of the church, a church family like we're gathered here. Nothing. No organization, no person, no philosophy can take the place of the church of the living God. Jesus loves us so much. He ministers to us as he does. Pastor Josh is coming now to share with you out of the word of God. There may be other things in the announcements that he want to go over to. Well, we're going to turn uh, to Luke chapter number 1 today. I'm also going to be chapter number 2, uh, Luke chapter 1. And we'll read a couple verses there. And then uh, over in Ephesians chapter number 2, we'll be looking at this. Uh, speaking about today the, the dawn of peace. And so much is going on in our world. And when we look around us, we say there is no peace. There is no rest. It seems like there's everything's in a turmoil. Maybe in your personal life, you're in a period of turmoil and you're going through situations and circumstances and problems that just seem to be totally overwhelming uh, to you, and you're not sure where to go or where to turn or what to do. And uh, we see that in our world constantly. It's just continually uh, looking for hope, anywhere that hope can be found, looking for peace. And I hate the fact that at Christmas time, especially at Christmas time, our world to these generic celebrations of hope and peace and love. And, and it's just very vanilla, very generic, very bland. It's like they do everything to ignore Jesus and to not mention Jesus at all, but they want to mention all the things that Jesus has brought to us. You know, how can we have love and light and life and joy and happiness and peace if it's not through Jesus Christ and through Him? He is those things, as we're going to see in Scripture today. And in our Sunday school, we uh, talked about Isaiah chapter 9, uh, the difference between the darkness and the light. And we see that uh, all these things are tied together here in Luke chapter 1. Uh, when you start in verse 67, you see Zechariah being filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, and he gives this wonderful benediction here as uh, Luke chapter 1 comes to a close. And I want to hone in on a couple of verses, but let's take the time to read uh, this uh, few short verses as we get to what I really want to focus on. And it says here in verse 67, his father, Zechariah. In other words, John the Baptist is just born. Newborn baby is there. Zechariah did not believe what the angel, the messenger, told him was going to happen. And so the angel uh, shut him up. Uh, the entire time that uh, his mother Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was pregnant. And a lot of women are saying, uh, that's going to be my prayer, you know. <laughs> Next time I'm having a baby, I'm praying God shut him up for nine months. You know, <laughs> Don't let him say anything to me. But uh, we see that Zechariah was not able to speak for that period of time because he did not believe. And they asked, what's his name going to be? And he says, his name will be John. And he wrote that down on the tablet and instantly his tongue was loose. The scripture says he was able to speak again. And everybody is amazed. And right after that, he gives this wonderful benediction. 
It says he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways and to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child, speaking of John the Baptist, and the child grew and waxed strong. He became strong in spirit and was in the deserts until the day of His showing unto Israel. And the two verses I wanted to highlight today is 78 and 79. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light unto them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. In, in our Sunday school, the uh, youth and the adult classes, we read Isaiah chapter number 9, and uh, we read the first three verses there. I want to read verse 2, Isaiah 9 to The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Then over in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, we see the same theme repeated of light. And you don't have to turn there. I'll just turn and read it very quickly. And we'll hop back into Luke chapter 1. But it says, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. This light is going to shine for all to see. All around the world will be able to see this light that is shining. That light is Jesus. And it is by the tender mercy of God, as it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 78, that He has given us this light. You know, God could have stayed away when he saw the destruction of our sin, when he sees the rebellion in our hearts, he could have said, if you want it your way, fine. Have it your way. It's like Burger King, you know, you've got to have it your way. And God could have said that to us. He could have said, have it your way. You want it? That's what you want? You don't want me? You want your sin? Fine. You can have your fill of it. Go after it. Chase it. Have all your fill of it. And in Ezekiel, he calls it that valley of dry bones. And it's, their sin has led to this. They lost the water of life. They lost that fountain of life who is God Himself in His presence because they chose their sin. And they went after the death. They went after darkness. They went after all these sinful things. And it has driven them away from God. Driven them into deep darkness. And here is Zechariah. 
a man that was mute for months. But see, And if you think back into the bigger picture of what Zechariah is talking about, for 400 years they had had silence. As the Old Testament ends, and God does not speak through His prophets anymore up until this episode comes onto the scene. So for 400 years, God has been silent. They have gone away from God, rejected Him. And yet we see God comes through the silence and gives His Word again into the mouth of this man. And the baby's cry of Jesus Christ was a signal that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we this world. And when we concentrate on the darkness, when we're focused in on the darkness, we're going to miss... And I'm afraid so often in our Christmas celebrations, it all becomes about me and what I want and what I want to eat and what I want under the Christmas tree. And it all becomes a very self-centered Christmas celebration. And we lose so much of what Christmas is truly about when it's all about me. Our culture is a me-centered culture. I think the God that we worship more than anything else is self. You know, we use sex and we use stuff and we use all these other things to benefit self and to worship self. And the God of this world has become me. And how can I advance myself? How can I look good on social media? What can I post that will get a bunch of attention and people will start liking and sharing? And, and everybody, even my, my little kids, you know, if you start talking in your YouTube voice, then they, they catch on to that and they're, you know, not even 10 years old yet. You know, like and subscribe down below. I mean, kids are just born knowing these things that people say for YouTube and all these other videos and things like that. And everyone is trying to promote themselves and push themselves. And it's all about me. Look at me. Look at me. And, and our sense of value, our sense of purpose, our sense of meaning, and our sense of hope is all built around how do I look? What is my image? Uh, what is my self-worth? What do people say about me? How many people like my video? And all that we are and all that we think that we are is tied up in and valued by us. Me, myself, I. But that's a sad place to be and that's a sad place to stay. Uh, we've got to see beyond ourselves. I think that's why there is so much hopelessness in our world today. Uh, so many people who are struggling, looking for hope, and they're looking for it in themselves. They're looking for hope in all the wrong places. And so we see that here, Zechariah points us to the one who brings hope, the one who brings light, the one who brings life. Through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We cannot have peace if we do not have Jesus. And it is that He is that day spring. Uh, the idea of day spring is the sun rising up. It's been dark for 400 years. For 400 years they've lived in darkness. For 400 years there's been silence. But now the dawn comes up and here comes the Son of God coming in person, taking on human flesh, coming to live in this world, coming on a rescue mission for me and for you and for whoever would believe on Jesus Christ. He is that dawn of the day. I love to see the sunrise come up in the morning. We've had some brilliant sunrises the last uh, couple of weeks and just to see them coming up over the sky. It's dark for so long. It's so much that you can't see. The darkness is hidden so much. But as the sun begins to come up, it is just beautiful as it exposes everything and it shines the way that we can go. 
And it shines the pathway for our feet to walk in. It brings warmth. It brings light. It brings joy to us to see the light. And Jesus is that light. That dawn has come up over the horizon. Zechariah sees the the dawn come upon him and upon those who are with him. And he sees that there is light. Finally, after all of this darkness, I finally see the light. And this can be for us personally. And this can be for you individually today that you're living in a lot of darkness in your life. It may be because of sin. It may be because of a situation. It may be something that's going on in your life that has just led you into a lot of darkness. And you say, I don't see that light. Dear friend, I tell you that Jesus is that light. He is that One. He said it Himself, I am the light of the world. And He shows us the way that we ought to go. It's not a cliche just to say follow Jesus because that truly is the answer. And all that I am is, is like a, a torch bearer. And that's what all of us as Christians are. We've got a torch and we're pointing people to Jesus. And we're just saying, this is the way. Follow Him. Look to Him. He's that light out of your darkness. He is that hope in your despair. He is the one that you can turn to no matter what you're going through in your personal life. We look at our nation. We look at our country. We see how divided our nation is. We see how uh, more and more and more it seems that we're slipping away and slipping away and going further and further and further into national debt and into national sin. And all these terrible things are going on in our country. And none of us want to see that. None of us want to see our country destroyed. But it seems like it's awful dark. It seems like we're in a period of great darkness. And it's like, where is the light? When is the light going to shine? When is the dawn going to break forth? Zechariah saw it in his day. And Christ is that light to those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, over in Ephesians chapter 2, I may refer back to Luke 1 again a couple more times. I love those verses and how it sets up Ephesians chapter 2 here. And I'm going to look at verse 11 and begin there. Uh, Paul is here speaking in the book of Ephesians, writing to them about this Jew and Gentile relationship now that they've got in Christ. It's two very different backgrounds. The Jewish people grew up very religious, understanding the Scriptures. The Gentiles were considered to be pagans. They knew nothing of God, nothing of the Scriptures, nothing of the Old Testament law except for what God had pinned on their hearts, on their conscience, that they knew by nature as He does for every single person. But in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called the uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens. You were outside looking in, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. No hope, no purpose, no direction in life, no meaning to life. That's where we were before Christ. And that's where we all were before we came to Christ. That's where many people in our world are today. We don't have hope. We don't feel a sense of purpose. We don't have a sense of meaning. We don't have a sense of direction in life. But now, I love those two words, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes, you who once were far off, 
are made nigh. You're brought close by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. I underlined that in my Bible. He is our peace who has made both one. The Jew and the Gentile no longer identify by Jew or Gentile. They identify by Christian. He has made us one. It's no longer who I used to be, but it's now who I am in Christ Jesus. He is our peace. He has made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, uh, for to make in Himself of twain of two one new man, so making peace. You know, it's one thing to win a war on the cross. He won that victory. He won that great victory. But He went beyond that and He also made peace. The founders of our country, They didn't just win the Revolutionary War. They had to make peace. They gave us the Constitution. They gave us these laws that we govern by. It's one thing to win a war. It's another thing to win the peace. It says that Jesus not just won the battle against sin, but He made peace. He has brought two into one. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter where you're from, which country you're from, what color your skin is. It doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus Christ is that uniting factor in all of our lives. And he that, uh, that He might reconcile, He might make us right, both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and to them that were nigh. This message goes out to anyone, anywhere, anytime. It's available for anyone, anywhere, anytime. Some people think, man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my past. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how close you are. It doesn't matter how far away you are. It doesn't matter if you've got every verse in the Bible memorized or if you're so very far away that you don't even know what John 3.16 even means. It doesn't matter how close you are or how far away you are. You can come to Christ. And again, it's not about our performance. It's not about how good we are or how good we try to be. That's a me-centered salvation. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? No, it's not about that. Read this passage and understand that it's saying what Jesus has done for us. That's the difference. It's all about what Jesus has done. Not what we do, but what He's already done for us on that cross. He is our peace. He made peace. We were at enmity with God. We had no hope of life in God. But Christ became that peace for us. He became that what we needed in and of Himself. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. Before we were outside, we were on the outside looking in, so to speak. We had no hope, no life, no meaning, no purpose. But now, all because of what Jesus has done, We have life, we have meaning, we have direction, we have purpose, we have access to God. We're no longer a stranger, we're no longer a foreigner, we're no longer considered to be an alien outside of the family of God, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, verse 19 tells you. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. 
in whom all the building fitly is framed together, it grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, everything that Jesus has done for us, He has brought us in. He has made us one. You know, many people in our world today are looking for peace. They're looking for unity. They're looking for oneness. And they're, they're searching for oneness in all the wrong ways and in all the wrong places. Uh, imagine, if you will, that we had this room filled with pianos today and uh, the uh, theologian of the past, A.W. Tozer, gave an analogy similar to this in one of his wonderful classic works that he wrote. And uh, it was the analogy, you know, imagine this room is just filled with pianos all over the place. And we go one piano by one piano, and we've got a tuning fork, and we hit the, the fork and we tune the piano to that fork. And we tune each individual piano around this room to that standard, to that fork. Now, what have we done in doing that? Not only have we tuned each piano one by one, but at the same time we've tuned each piano to each other. When we attune it to that one standard, we have all tuned together. So the analogy is this. You know, when I get right with God, when I have peace with God, and my heart is right with God, then I can be right with the other people around me. And many times our world is looking to make peace by trying to work out interpersonal relationships. Why can't we all just get along and be happy? That's not where it starts. Uh, unity among other people is the byproduct of being right with God. And it becomes with having peace with God first and foremost. See, there's, there's three types of peace that we all need. The first type of peace is peace with God. And we just talked about that. Everything that Jesus has done for us to be right with God, that's the first peace that we've got to have is peace with God. Secondly, we've got to have peace with ourselves. When we get right with God, we not only have peace with God, but God gives us peace that passes all understanding. And we have peace in ourselves, and then and only then can we see peace among other people. When relationships break down, when there's a lack of peace, and when there's conflict going on between people, you can mark it down that there is sin somewhere in that relationship. It may be one or the other, it may be both. Uh, are not right with God. That's why relationships break down fundamentally. It's not because it's two people that keep butting heads. It's because ultimately those people are butting heads with God. They're ignoring God. They're ignoring what God wants. And so if we want to fix our relationships with each other, we've got to first look in the mirror and then we've got to look upward to God and say, Lord, there must be something in my life that is not right with You. We keep coming back to this same a problem with our interpersonal relationships with their family or spouses or children. could be any interpersonal relationship. Say, I'm trying to figure out how to make this right. But it's got to boil down to, and it's got to start with getting your relationship right with God. That's the first peace that we've got to have is peace with God. And then He will give us that peace within ourselves, and then we can be at peace with others. Just like those pianos. When you tune one, and then you tune the next, you've ultimately tuned those two pianos to match each other just perfectly, note by note. And when we're right with God, we can be right with each other. 
And when you get, imagine having a whole room full of pianos in here, and they're all off from each other. They're all off tune. And uh, each one of us sits behind a piano. Maybe we can play like Miss Debbie, or maybe you play more like me. And it's like that, uh, was it to Charlie Brown Christmas? Ding, 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 ding. I can't even do that. But uh, imagine we all are sitting behind a piano. They're all tuned differently. We're all playing our own little uh, special songs. And it's going to sound terrible in here. But what if we were all tuned together and we're all playing the same song? How beautiful that's going to sound and how majestic and wonderful and vibrant that would sound. That's what I'm talking about. And that's who Jesus came. He is that dawn of peace that has come upon this world. He is that light that we see. We've been in darkness. We're walking in darkness. We need that peace. We need to see the dawn of peace. And many of you perhaps need to see the dawn of peace in your relationship with God first and foremost. Maybe you need the dawn of peace in yourself. Or maybe you need that dawn of peace in your relationship with other people. But it's found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. I love this song uh, written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. A beautiful poem. It starts out very sad, very depressing. If you just read through the first few stanzas of the song and you stop there, you'd be like, man, this is a downer. There's no goodness in this song. There's no Christmas joy and Christmas spirit in this song. But the last two stanzas really turn the corner. We're going to get to that. But a little bit about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was born in 1807 in Maine. Uh, His family had come over in the middle 1600s to the American colonies. He was part of a revolutionary war family. He was well-educated, well-to-do, very smart, very successful early in life. I mean, in his early 20s, he was hired to teach at a college. And before his 30th birthday, Harvard takes notice of him and they hire him to become a professor at Harvard. And he's very successful as a writer, as an author, as a poet, and he's making a name for himself. He gets married in 1831. In 1834, he lands that job at Harvard. I mean, he's got the good life. He's got the wife. He's got the house. He's got all these things and all this stuff, and it's all come together for him in this time. But less than a year later, in about 1835, his wife dies, and she passes away tragically after an illness. And for the next seven years, he just pours himself into his work, and that's all that he focuses on. Then he decides to get remarried, and uh, fast forward a few years now to about 1861. His second wife and him have had five kids over the span of those uh, years, 10, 15 years that they've been together. And uh, she lights a match in the house, and her clothes catch on fire, and she dies in that fire. And just a freak accident that happens to her. And this is about 1861, and Pastor Brad mentioned it already, but if you know American history, you know right around that time is the outbreak of the Civil War. And he had a 19-year-old son, his oldest son, 19 years old, sent out to battle. He got injured. They were afraid he was going to die too. You know, his mom has just died. Now he's laying perhaps on his deathbed. Thankfully, by the grace of God, he recovered and he didn't die. But in the midst of all this, it was on Christmas Day of 1863. Civil War is going on and he is looking out across the landscape thinking about his personal life, 
thinking about what's going on in the nation, how divided the country was at that time that literally uh, people are killing brothers, killing brothers, and sons killing uh, dads and vice versa, all up and down this country, just how divided we were. I know that we're in a divided place as a country right now, and that we see so much division in our country. Well, you know, put yourself back into those days and what they would be experiencing. At least we're not at the point yet where uh, we're having to fear for our lives. We're having to carry rifles out into the street, afraid that our house is going to get shot through, uh, worrying about the life of our kids, trying to hide in fear. That's what was going on during this time of the Civil War. And on Christmas Day, uh, he penned this poem, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. In other words, he kept thinking, year after year after year, Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, we're hearing these same songs. The church bells keep ringing, and they keep ringing these same tunes, these same songs. This keeps happening Christmas after Christmas. They're telling us about peace on earth. They're telling us about goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Very depressing, very discouraging when you look around you, when you look at the landscape as He would have done, and to see where is this peace on earth? Where is this goodwill to men? None of that is in the country at that time. Can we fast forward to where we are today and we see the same spirit in our country here today? That spirit of division, that spirit that says hate each other and get away from each other. That's the opposite of the spirit of Christ. And we see that. Again, God is not the author of division. God is the one who brings unity. And when we see division, we know that's the work of Satan. We know that's the work of the enemy. Trying to drive a wedge of division. But Christ has come to give us light, to give us life, to give us as a byproduct that unity that we need. As He goes on, Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The church bells are drowned out by the sounds of bombs coming out of cannons all up and down this country. And he says, it was like an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Can you hear him in his uh, exasperation saying, look at where our country came from. His family was one of the founding families in our country. He said, my ancestors gave their lives to defend this country, to establish this country. And now here we are a few generations later tearing it apart at the seams. He said, my ancestors came here looking for peace on earth, goodwill to men. Looking to worship God in freedom and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And here we are tearing it apart at the seams, the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He said, All these houses, these people who came here with the same goal, the same hope, the same aspiration, now they've got dead sons and dead fathers, dead men that they're having to bury, wondering where the provision's coming from, 
wondering who's going to carry on the farm, wondering how are we going to make ends meet, wondering what's going to happen to our country. Are we ever going to be able to heal from this? Are we ever going to be able to recover from this? And then the last two stanzas. As I said before, if you were just to stop there, I mean, it's a downer, it's depressing, depressing, it's discouraging. As you think about what he is surrounded by as he's looking out across the landscape of a country torn in two by the Civil War. And I love how he ends the last two stanzas. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. And I thank God for that. He is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. Till ringing, singing on its way. The world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime. Of peace on earth, good will to men. Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was looking for that dawn of peace and he was able to see it. That world revolved from night to day. And that's been our prayer here for a number of years. I think it's over eight years now that we've, I've been praying here on Monday mornings. God uh, burdened my heart with that to seek Him. And it's been a journey of learning for me individually. I know how God spoke to my heart, how He continues to speak to my heart in and through that time of prayer and we've been asking God for a great move of His Spirit in our church, in our region, in our community. And many people, you know, we may look and say, well, what's the point? It's, it's, it's pointless. It's meaningless. The world's not going to revolve from night to day. It's too dark. Longfellow could have said that here. He could have ended his poem and it would have been forgotten. But he reminded himself of the hope that we have in Jesus. That the world can revolve from night to day not in ourselves, not in human effort, and let's just get together and forget our differences and, and you know all these things, these buzzwords in our world today. But no, it's all about Jesus. He is that One that can change the night into day. And He can do it in an instant. And that's the whole reason that He came. That's exactly what Zechariah said in Luke chapter 1. It's through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring, the dawn from on high, hath visited us. We couldn't get there on our own. He had to come to us. We can't get to the sun and somehow you know, tie rockets to it and, or tie rockets to the earth and get the earth to spin just enough. We can't control dawn and dusk and we can't control any of those things. It has to be done for us. We have no way to manipulate those things. But it says here that He came and visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Again, notice where are we in this? We're sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. It's not that we're searching for the light, it's just that we're sitting there. And here comes the light to us to guide our feet into that way of peace. And do you have this peace today? Has that dawn of peace come upon you? As He does that in your life, He's going to do a great work in you. And He does that great work in you so that He can do a great work through you. And that He can let you experience that peace with others around you. And so let's think about these things as we close in prayer. I want to give a time of invitation to give you the opportunity to respond to what the God is speaking into your heart today. Heavenly Father, we bow before Your presence. And we are so thankful for the dawn of the light of Christ that has shone upon this dark world. Thank You that He came nearly 2,000 years ago. 
and became that dawn. He is the light of the world. And we who are sitting in darkness, Lord, let us see that glorious light. God, I pray, number one, for those who are here who do not know You as Savior, that they would see that light. That they would see Jesus Christ as the light. As the way out of the hopelessness that they're experiencing. As a way out of the sin that they're in. We're all under the bondage and the curse of sin. I pray, Lord, for deliverance of the captives, that You would set them free today from the chains of sin that are binding them. I pray, secondly, for those of us who are struggling. We're in this darkness of this world. We see the sin all around us. We see the situation of our country. We see the situation of our families. We see what the future may look like without Christ. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us to look to Jesus to see Him as the answer, to see Him as the way. And Lord, I I know that You have how You have spoken to my heart and how that You have touched uh, uh, me and really the word I should use is burdened me. You've burdened me to pray and to seek Your face as it says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And God, I'm just grateful today that we serve the God who always keeps His promises. You never break Your Word You never break your promises. Zechariah was praising you because you were the promise-keeping God. The world had laid in darkness for 400 years and you kept your promise and you sent forth Jesus as it says in Galatians 4.4 at the fullness of time, at the very perfect time, the precise time in human history that God became flesh. You sent Jesus at the perfect time. Lord, I know in this world I know in the day and age that we live in, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to sit back and to watch things happening. And as it must have been for Zechariah and for Elizabeth and for others in the Christmas story, like in Luke chapter 2, when we see Simeon and Anna, you had made specific promises to them. And God, they saw it come true. They had to wait patiently for you. Lord, help us to keep in tune with you Help us to keep our focus upon You. Let nothing distract us off of Jesus. Help us to remember that we serve the God who always keeps His promises. He is always faithful to Your Word, God. We bless Your name for that in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a minute. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Just by showing me with the raising of your hand a couple of different things I just want to ask of you. While we're here, then Pastor Brad will come and conclude the service. But number one, if Jesus. And God has spoken to my heart about that today. And if that's on your heart, if that's on your mind today, and you say, yes, I realize I do not have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to begin that relationship today. If that's on your heart, would you just simply show me by lifting your hand right where you are this second. Again, I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I won't come back to you or anything like that. I just want to pray for you right now. While we wait just a second, I sure don't want to miss one that may raise their hand at this time. You may be watching online. Of course, we can't see hands that may be uh, that's in your heart. I encourage you, if that's you and you're watching online, please reach out to us through a private message, through an email, through a phone call, whatever way you're comfortable with, let us know. We'll have a conversation with you and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
Let me have a quick prayer. And I'll move on to a second question. Dear Lord, I pray for those that that may be in their heart. Maybe they're searching. Maybe they're trying to figure out who is Jesus. How can I have a relationship with Him? Why should I have a relationship with Him? Maybe they're filled with questions today about what that looks like. God, I pray that You would give them the courage to reach out to myself, to Pastor Brad, and that we can point them to Your... How can I trust Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Lord, I pray that You would give them courage to take that next step of faith today before they leave this place, or if they're watching online um, before the conclusion of today, that You would give them the courage to take that first step. In Jesus' name, Amen. One more question with their heads bowed and eyes closed still. And thank you for your patience with me. But just want to give you an opportunity to respond. You say, yes, I know Jesus is my Savior. I just want you to pray for me because I've been walking through a lot of darkness in my life. It's really getting to me. All the darkness around me. Maybe it's something in your personal life. Maybe it's something with your relationships. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something that you're seeing with our nation. Something going on that is just it's like this darkness is overwhelming to you. And you just say, yes, that's me. I, I need prayers for that. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you out, come back to you, anything. I just want to pray. So if that's on your heart today, would you simply just raise a hand and say, yes, that's me. I see hands going up all across the auditorium here today. Thank you for your honesty there. Thank you for uh, saying that. I know that takes a step of courage in and of itself just to admit that we are struggling at times. We like to worship self, don't we? We like to think we have it all together, but really before God, He sees and He knows. And so let me pray for you. You know the darkness that they are facing. Perhaps they're echoing the, the words of Longfellow. Where is this God? Hate is strong. It seems like God is a million miles away. How could God be working in this circumstance? But Lord, You were working. And You were moving back then. And I'm convinced from what I've seen and what I've heard that You are working today. We may not be able to see that evidence right in front of us. And I don't know the situations, but Lord, You know all about it. You're intimately acquainted with every single person who is here today, every single person who is watching online. You know exactly what they need, and You know exactly how to meet that need. Lord, I pray that You would increase their faith in You. Lord, I pray that this day, today, You would show them a token for good. Send them a reminder of Your love for them, of Your care for them, of Your direction in their life. Lord, help them to cast those burdens upon You. Help them to turn to You in faith and say, I can't see how this storm is going to be resolved. I can't see how this problem is going to be solved. But I want to look to Jesus through faith. Lord, I pray that You would be with them in the situations that they are facing. God, answer the prayers that they are praying right now whether it be in their seats or at this altar or wherever they may be across this place or maybe even at home in their living room right now. They're praying this prayer. Lord, I ask that You would answer these prayers. Do a deep work in their hearts and in their lives, drawing them to Jesus in a special way so that You can use them as a light to point to others and that You can use them as a great beacon of hope and of joy and of peace that is found only in Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Let's stand together, would you please, for a moment. The girl's going to sing for us. Maybe you want to slip out and pray. 
and you say, I, I know I have peace with God, but I just need peace in my life right now. A lot of things going on, and we need that sense of peace. Let's seek Him for that right now. As they sing for us here this morning, is thy heart right with God? Is it? Is everything on the altar laid? I'm telling you, everything is right when you're right with Him. That's, that's it. The Lord takes care of the rest. It's amazing how when things are good between you and the Lord and there's peace there, that He brings a peace in every other circumstance. Amen. Brother Josh, you got it. You can be seated. I just want to mention this announcement real quick. It's in the bulletin. Explain this a little bit. Uh, we're starting a new leadership ministry for men. And we're going to be starting that up in January. It's going to be a once-a-week study, probably on Sunday evenings is what it's looking like right now. And so it's open for all men, young and old alike, 18 and up. And we're going to be studying uh, leadership principles from a biblical perspective. But it's much more than that. It's in the spirit of 2 Timothy 2 to you know, commit to faithful men the things that we have learned and heard. We want to raise up a next generation of leadership and not pushing people off or anything like that. That's not the goal of this, but simply to uh, uh, invest into the life of younger men. And, it, you know, uh, and that's a very broad term. Uh, you know, don't think I have to, I'm not 18 anymore. I can't be a part of this. No, it's for anybody that wants to be a part of it. Any, and so just let me know if you want to be a part of that. We've got some materials we're going to get ordered and things like that. I want to be sure we got enough. If you've got questions about that, you can come see me about that. Our seniors have a trip coming up this Tuesday. They're leaving the church at 1130. Please see Miss Faye or Brother Junior if you want to go on that trip. Again, it's this Tuesday. Uh, the Christmas card exchange, people have been asking me about that. The box is over on my right hand, uh, your left or whatever. I don't know. It's over here in the foyer. <laughs> over there, yeah, so... If you want to exchange Christmas cards there and save stamps, that's, that's where the box is located this year. It used to be over on the other side, but we moved it, and that's thrown everybody off. But just <laughs> let you know where that's at. Okay. So. All right. Thank you, Brother Josh. Okay, we're having choir practice this evening at 5. We're not going to have our drive through prayer time at 4. We'll be meeting here at 5 for a special time. I encourage you to be part of that. And I want to encourage you 
uh, all of you men, no matter what age you are, this is great leadership. I study leadership books all the time. I read them. I, I try to I keep several uh, active. In, when I say active, I'm reading from several of them at the same time. I want to compare what these guys are saying. I want to be a good leader, don't you? This is just for the men, you ladies, already leaders, see? Do I hear amen there, ladies? I thought I'd hear amen. Well... And uh, we got a birthday, don't we? Is that what you're doing up here? Oh, you come to repent too. Well, let's get rid of that first. Lord help us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Revival, yeah that's right. Yeah. Well, Brother David asked me to come up here to present a uh, gift for our birthday. Actually, someone's having a birthday today. I don't know who that is. Do you, Amanda? Do you know who that is? Yeah. David's yeah. my birthday. Yeah, that's right. I think it's already passed. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Miss Amanda, do you mind coming up here for a second? Uh, you can come up too if you want to, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just wanted to present this gift to you from a, from a church and church family because we care about you and we love you and for your dedication to this church. And, and also, we want, it's also a really a sympathy gift for putting up for Josh for this long. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, we do, we do feel sorry for you. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we was going to give you more because of that, you know, cause, but uh, our budget just won't allow that, you know, so... <laughs> But we do care about you, and we hope you have a great birthday today. And uh, hope everything. Hope Josh is really good to you today. No, no, of course, that's a father-in-law would say that, but isn't that awful? Amen. But anyway, I love you, church. Thank you for being here, and, and what a blessing. And let's don't get too wrapped up that we're wrapped up, okay? I, I mean that. Let's don't get too wrapped up. It's easy to do, and let's don't lose sight of these things that are most important. Stand back, take a deep breath, and so what if a package doesn't get wrapped till christmas eve or so what if it doesn't get wrapped who cares only last about 10 seconds when they tear it off you know and you've spent all that time wrapping and getting it well i didn't get so and so something hey i got five cans of sardines i'll help you out all right you can borrow some of mine and pay me back later so we'll be good for it all right all right i love you god bless you your liberty to go thank you